This episode contains descriptions of child sexual offences that you may find upsetting. Please check the podcast notes for more information and guidance on how to seek help and advice. Matthew Folder um, is one of the most sadistic offenders that I have come across for the level of depravity in terms of what he wanted his victims to do. He epitomises to me the film villain, the film nasty, but he's real. We were pretty sure that he was in the UK, and pretty sure he was male. And at the time, there were 32 million males above the age of 18 in the UK. It was the most serious, most complex case that I've ever encountered of its kind. And the sentence that he received was an indication of how seriously the court viewed the case. At university, his family, his friends, his girlfriend didn't know what he was doing. Then no wonder he could convince the victims there had never been anything like this, I don't think, from an investigative standpoint that we'd ever seen. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it. And to be honest, I continue to oversee investigations of this nature. And I haven't seen anything quite like it since. I dealt with a number of the most dangerous pedophile murderers in the UK. Um, I dealt with a number of organized crime abuse and child abuse. So this was the one where genuinely I saw the darkest moments of humanity in my career. And I honestly haven't seen her since. And I never want to see her again. This is the story of a four-year investigation into one of the most prolific and depraved sex offenders in British history. A worldwide search led by the National Crime Agency until Matthew Falder, a Cambridge graduate who had a dark, secret life online, was eventually brought to justice and sentenced to serve 25 years for 137 offences. I'm Ellie Flynn, and this is Underworld, behind the scenes of the NCA. This podcast series unearths the murky world of dangerous criminals across the UK and the incredible work undertaken by the National Crime Agency to bring them to justice. Episode 2, Rap Sheet from Hell. The phrase the dark web first emerged in print in a 2009 newspaper article describing how criminals were exploiting the Tor network. Tor is an acronym for the Onion Router, the software that powers a hidden side of the internet, encrypting web traffic and making it difficult to trace where it's come from. In the autumn of 2013, American agents had their eyes on two websites on the dark web, which allowed sexual predators to target children. They alerted their colleagues in the UK. The first signal was reporting from FBI in relation to the takedown of a website on hosted on the dark web called Hurt to the Core. And this had been taken down and an, an individual on there was identified as likely to be coming from the UK. And that individual went by the moniker of In the Garden. This is Matt Sutton. He was the senior investigating officer who led an NCA operation to uncover the offender. At that stage, all they knew was that an individual was sharing material on Hurt to the Core, in which he encouraged victims to share images of extreme self-abuse online. Although this episode provides details of some of the offences, there are many elements of Matthew Folder's offending that are too dark to share. Kirsty Lowe is a clinical and forensic psychologist. The NCA instructed her to provide a written report that assessed Folder's offending 
and the impact of his crimes on his victims. There was a man called Matthew Graham, which he's quite well known within the, the online sexual offending world. He was an Australian. He then decided that there should be a place for people that wanted to um, hurt children. So he decided to call that um, Hurt to the Core. So he had Love to the Core, then he set up Hurt to the Core. And he actually said, I don't want Hurt to the Core to be for your normal paedophile. I want Hurt to the Core to be something different. This is for a different type of, of offender. This is for the people that want to actually see the pain, observe the pain that's been perpetrated on these youngsters. He had what he called the Producers Lounge, and there were 16 members, and these were people who kind of earned a place by not only being collectors of online pornography, but they're also creators and distributors of the child pornography. So Matthew Folder got some of the girls to hold up four Lux, L-U-X, four Lux on their bodies, like hold up signs. Lux was the username of Matthew Graham, the Australian. So it was very clear that Matthew Folder seemed to be saying, for like, you know, I want to impress, as he talks about, um, I hope to help people out with forming new ideas for how to go about blackmailing their own victims. In 2015, the NCA was alerted to another dark web domain, which set alarm bells ringing and triggered the start of Operation Kakam with Matt in charge. That site on the dark web was called Scream Bitch with similar users, material and abuse as hurt to the core. An individual was advertising under the name Evil Mind that they were going to abuse their daughter and they were looking for ideas on how to abuse their daughter. The avatar was of a small child between five and seven years old with holding a sign as I love SB, which is I love Screen Bitch with that particular date. So the investigation commenced to try and identify that female child, to safeguard the female child. That's how it's restarted. Um, trying our best to try and see who that was, keep them from harm. As we were investigating, a number of victims had reported to forces. And these victims all had a similar relationship with each other in the sense that there was a commonality to the emails that were speaking to them, that were coercing them to provide images. And that's where we identified that he was searching Gumtree which is the online marketplace, which very innocent. And in the, on that marketplace, he would look for adverts from usually young children, male or female, who were looking for a little bit of cash. So it might be dog walking, babysitting, anything like that. And then he would then reach out under the guise of a female. And the first thing he would do, he would pull them off the Gumtree servers and directly speak to them outside of Gumtree. And we were able to identify those emails. He was advertising that he was an artist by the name of Liz, one of his most common one. Uh, well, she was a depressed person who liked to draw, and like drawing chalk and pencil, and wanted to draw people and liked to draw people. And she was asking for them to send her images of them for her to sketch and make for. And she promised nobody would see it. I'm happy we just have a half shot of the body and would offer two, three, four hundred pounds for these pictures, which to a 12, 13 year old child is tempting. Better than any babysitting job they'll ever get for a quick photograph. So they would send, and then once the picture has been sent, there then follows a coercion. That coercion followed a well rehearsed grooming routine, a script that the offender 
in the garden used over and over again. No, I'm not Liz, this poor depressed female. I'm your worst nightmare. I'm going to destroy you unless you do what I say. They suck these children in by they find out information about them, they find out what school they go to, they find out weaknesses. The person is like very vulnerable, wants somebody to talk to, somebody who's nice to them. Along comes Folder. You know, I'm going to, um, I'm really interested in you and I want to find out more about you and isn't your life hard? You can, you can just imagine all of this conversation going on. All the while, they're just getting more and more information that they're just going to then use. You can do two things. You can either send me more images, as I ask, or I will send these to your family, to your friends, to your school. I'm sure you won't want that. If you don't do this within 48 hours, I'll just send them anyway. And that would then, with a young child, would then feel pressure and coerced to send the next image and the next image. And they can't get out of it, and the images got worse and worse. And they were degrading images, degrading to a child to tell them to go and lick a toilet bowl or to write horrible words on their thighs or whatever it might be, just really horrible. This investigation was in the dark web. And also, this was an investigation that at the time we didn't know that was extremely intelligent and clever and able to avoid detection. So in terms of the, the things we used, we had a global effort where we had to break encryption. We had to look at psychological profiling. We had to come together as a team um, using all those tools to actually find this individual. So it was a challenge both of mind and technology. That was Matthew Long. He had overall responsibility for the operation known as CACAM. From the outset, the NCA forged a close working relationship with the US Department of Homeland Security, including Special Agent Scott Crabb. It was, I think, July of 2016, and uh, they'd come over to the embassy at the time and asked for some help and some support, and we had a couple of US victims identified in the case. so. And so we got pretty intricately involved in my agency, Homeland Security Investigations. We conduct a lot of these types of investigations. And so child exploitation and victim-based crimes are a priority for the agency. Our diplomatic relations with the UK, we decided we could provide them some support. Despite all the analysis, the suspect known as In the Garden couldn't be identified. Meanwhile, he continued to approach potential victims using the same methods of coercion and blackmail. The offender remained anonymous by using free email addresses and use, and use of the Onion router or Tor or the, um, to access and communicate. So therefore it's, un, it's untraceable. But the victims, again, very few, not many of them came forward to the police. The two or three that ones that did in the beginning, they were, were unrewarded because the police could not identify who it was. The police even went to the point of using cease and desist emails to the individual to try and get them to stop because they couldn't find him. It was multi-layered encryption, to be clear. So, I mean, we had the encryption where he was in hidden services or the onion router as it was, that was at the time. We also then had the layer of encryption that he applied over the top of that himself. And then we also had like what I class as human encryption. So what he was also doing is a number of um, steps to safeguard himself. So he would actually advise others on how not to get caught. So there were some of those things like, for example, don't do this in an image or don't do this in a particular way. So you had like three layers all coming together in one case. The Operation CACAM team worked around the clock trying to locate and uncover the depressed female artist who called herself Liz. 
Front of mind at all times was protecting, safeguarding and supporting the victims. The victims that he picked and the victims that people tend to pick when it comes to females or youngsters, usually they have a pattern already of vulnerability that makes them very attractive to the people that want to exploit them. So on top of the trauma that they've already suffered or the difficulties they've already had in their lives, along comes a person to put more and more on top of it. By now, the NCA was leading a task force that included the US Department of Homeland Security, the Australian Federal Police and Europol plus other international partners. We found other victims also contacted by our subject. I then set up a separate team just to manage the engagement with identification of engagement with all those victims. There are over 200 victims we contact, some very fragile individuals, you know, not just from Gumtree, from other places as well. There was a, an anorexia nervosa site. So it wasn't, and there were other contacts in other countries. It didn't just prowl in the UK. Wherever he could get a victim, he could respond to him. And then he blackmails them to, to do awful things. The NCA provided support throughout for its officers. Working tirelessly long-term on a case like this inevitably took its toll. So we are here to protect children worldwide, wherever, the, wherever they are, and that's what we do. But when you're sitting watching a video of the darkest, the most depraved thing that you've ever seen, that takes a toll on those, inf those officers. And my job, of course, if you're sitting at the top of that investigation is to make sure they're safe. So it is tough. So it's about making sure that they have what they need and that ultimately sometimes it's about intervening and making sure they're safe. I remember in this investigation walking through the office one day and just at the corner of my eye, I just caught someone. I could just see a little tear in their eye. And it was just that moment, just that one second where I thought you and I need to sit down. And, you know, we had a really good chat. Um, they weren't okay, you know, um, but then what we did is wrap what we do around them to make sure that they were safe and they were back on the investigation. And I was really proud. They're actually with me at court at the end of the investigation. We were pretty sure that he was in the UK, and pretty sure he was male. And at the time, there were 32 million males above the age of 18 in the UK. But there was that many people you've got to whittle it down to try to find ways to narrow that picture down. With my team working tirelessly to try, with all the information from the forces that we're getting from these victims that had come forward, is there anything we can patch together? Is there any language we can use? Is there any wording that he may have used that would give him away, all that stuff. This was a very intelligent man who was hiding in some way in plain sight, uh, and ultimately he was using technology and using his intellect to master that technology. So we had to fight technology with technology. Victims were coming forward to local police, but still the suspect evaded capture. Early on in the investigation, the NCA worked closely with the Crown Prosecution Service and their senior specialist prosecutor, Rona Iguyue. Finding and stopping the offender was one thing, but officers also needed to be mindful of gathering evidence for an eventual successful prosecution. Folder had been targeting victims on the worldwide internet. Work that I did was providing advice to them. There was a long-running undercover operation, but my role was to advise them on the sensitive techniques that they were using, the legal and the evidential implications of those techniques and how those techniques could be protected whilst deploying evidence from those investigations. Um, very distressing because a lot of what we were witnessing, the evidence of what was happening to the victims, um, w involved um, victims being blackmailed, 
a lot of victims had been um, controlled by FOLDA for a considerable period. One of them was nearly a year. Another one was over a year. And because he was not identified for so long, um, it emboldened him. And so he became increasingly depraved in his activities towards the victims. The NCA used all of the tools and tradecraft at their disposal, including language analysis, behavioural science, and the deployment of undercover officers and tech experts, working online to crack the layers of encryption. They would look to try and pull them, the individual off into a site that where he could be identified. Um, as well as with my international partners, so with Homeland Security Investigations. There are a lot of work with them with their HERO programme in relation to trying to do research onto uh, IP identification and resolution. The HERO programme is something they set up for ex-returning military to come to more technical, so we had there, they were working for us as well, plus our, our own intelligence partners are trying to help and trying to find ways to identify somebody who chose through discipline and technique and capability to remain anonymous online. It was relentless work, a four-year search that took the team down endless rabbit holes without DNA or fingerprints and battling technology that was created to provide total anonymity. You try your hardest, you hope that someday he may make a mistake, and that mistake could come from a number of ways, uh, as well as it could be also interaction with undercover officers both from us, UK and abroad, we, we would call a true IP, so the real IP of somebody's address. So your IP at home, for example, or your mobile phone, rather than being spun in a, in a web of, the, uh, of Tor. And then finally, at the end of March 2017, came the credible lead they'd been waiting for. Covert work provided an address that investigators believed to be of interest. For the first time, the team had a real suspect with a name and a face, Matthew Folder. I'm rushing to try and pull a number of things together. One was identify that it was him, that he was the offender, establish that I had the evidence at the time. I didn't want to arrest him and then bail him or release him under investigation and allow him to offend continuously. So I needed to make sure that the Crown Prosecution Service were prepared to charge on arrest. Um, which is a quite a, a big feat, especially when you've got a long-running case. And also, I need to make sure that whilst I'm investigating and trying to get the evidence and get access to devices that he may have, which may be heavily encrypted, that he didn't offend. Or if he did offend, I'm managing, I'm able to mitigate the, the chance of offending. So that required us watching him closely online and physically for a period of nearly three months till I was in a position where I think if we arrest him now, I'll be able to get the evidence I need to support charges by the CPS. I think when we started communicating with him real time through a, a victim account, but when we started providing that information, we could tell that, that things were progressing along pretty, pretty well. Uh, we started getting some information about surveillance and locations. And, and I think at that point we knew, and that was probably around 2018, 2019, I don't recall exactly when, but uh, myself and, and the agent who was assigned the case, we were no noticing there was an uptick in, in activity and we, we felt like we were pretty close to getting him at that point. Folder regularly boasted to his victims that he was untouchable. He used many false 
identities online, and that made it all the more difficult. But the um, work that the National Crime Agency investigators did with their international partners in the US and other countries enabled them to infiltrate that dark web and to break through the layers of encrypted communication. Timing was critical. If they went too soon, the NCA risked the possibility that the suspect could destroy any evidence of his crimes. You're racing, you're worried about what he might be doing online. And you don't see everything online, but you haven't to, to a point where, yes, let's go for a chance to try and arrest him, get access to his, the material that's contained within the devices that we thought he was using, and then making sure we get those devices. When it came to profiling, the man they identified was not what they expected to find. A very surprised. So Matthew Folder was a 28-year-old individual, come from a well-to-do family in north, north of England, was a Cambridge alumni, first at Cambridge for geography, completely clean skin, in, in, in the sense he had no previous offending, I seemed to come from a lovely home, and very surprised. It just seemed very out of character, not what you expect at all, really. A lot of offenders, we can now look, we can do studies over time, and we can look at them, how they might um, do, they've been in prison, so they've had particular assessments done when they've been convicted. So you get a better handle on this type of person, has these type of characteristics. Technology-assisted sexual violence, because it's so new, people who might not have committed the offending in person are now doing the same sexual offending, but using internet as a, a mode of doing it. So you can draw on some of those psychological theories to help understand the person that's very interested in child pornography. But we didn't seem to have that same pattern within Matthew Folder. There hadn't been up to that point, there hadn't really been much research on online offending. Since Matthew Folder, there have been others who have, used, who have come to prominence. So what they look like is not what you normally expect a child sex offender. But then it wasn't the offending that, that was what made him tick. What made him tick was being able to control somebody else. And it was having that ultimate control to do anything, make them do anything, anything, including abusing their own children, which is what he was convicted of when in, in one of the offences. To make somebody do that was, a, was his power trip. They began a surveillance operation to monitor Matthew Forder, watching his every move as he went about his professional life all the time waiting for the right moment to effect an arrest without compromising his devices and potential evidence. And I believe that there was an opportunity for me to arrest him and gain access to his devices and the material that would be able to be on them. And I, was, and I was fairly confident that I could avoid any encryption opportunity. So. Matthew Folder was arrested at his place of work, his office at the University of Birmingham. So what, 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 so what, what was it I've done? Oh, what was it I'm supposed to have done? So the, the offences that I've arrested you on suspicion of being involved in yep. were blackmail, causing or inciting a child to engage in sexual activity, possessing indecent images of children. Sounds like the rap sheet from hell. Distributing indecent images of children and causing GBH injuries to a person. So we had three days to, well, up to three days to prove or to get enough evidence to, to convince the CPS that Matthew Folder was the individual we knew online to be Evil Mind 4. The Evil Mind 4 was, a, was the last email address that he was using. So that's what we were looking to prove and that there he has in possession of the images 
that we believed he had. Without it, there was nothing. He would have been arrested and he could have said no comment and bowed and walked off. And if the device was being encrypted at the time, we'd have had nothing. There's a different way that the U.S. might collect and maintain and preserve evidence than from the United Kingdom. And we had to do that in a joint nature so that we were able to ensure that he was going to be prosecuted. It is a U.K.-based case. We had violations in the U.S. We could have that as an option. We always want to keep that in the back pocket in case something happened with the, the U.K. case. We could always come back and have a U.S. prosecution. Uh, but because there was plenty of evidence and plenty of, of activity in the UK, uh, we were just in a support role for that. But we all always maintained that evidence so that we could provide that in the in the case. He had a number of devices in his apartment, and there was one old netbook, twelve years old at the time. It was a battered old thing, and that was a device he used. And in that was folders of all the the victims he had back to 2010, including some voyeurism stuff where he set cameras up in bathrooms and bedrooms and stuff. Matthew Folder was held and questioned for three days. No comment. Is there any other email accounts, Matthew, that you're using at the current time? No comment. If there are any more email accounts, what are the passwords? For? No comment. Have you done that? No comment. Have you sent pictures of your blackmail victims to the parents? No comment. Of the victim? The grandparents? No comment. The workplace? No comment. The schools? No comment. The images that he provided to you, have you shared them with anybody else? No comment. Have you distributed those images to um, any like-minded individuals on the forums we've discussed previously? No comment. Or with any other person? No comment. Did you get any sexual gratification of that? No from comment. that? Or was it a power and control thing, Matthew? No comment. Or was it humiliation? No comment. You go on to say, and so you know, I know I'm 100% anonymous. How's that, Matthew? No comment. On day three of the questioning, he provided two prepared statements. In one, admitting that he controlled the Evil Mind account. Investigators discovered devices which contained evidence of voyeurism offences committed by Folder dating back to 2009 against 13 victims at eight locations. Each identified victim was approached and offered safeguarding support. On the 24th of June 2017, Folder was charged with 16 offences. Two days later, he was charged with a further 40 offences including encouraging or assisting the rape of a child, causing and inciting sexual exploitation and blackmail. When they read out the long list of offences, and it was a long list of offences, in the end, he pleaded guilty to 137 offences. And those offences spanned from fraud, blackmail, committing child sex offences online, encouraging rape online, and in one case, um, there was a modern slavery offence for the individual in the US that he had required to carry out depraved activities um, whilst distributing that to members of his online community. So yes, it was in fact for him, he said it was a rap sheet from hell. It's identification and safeguarding are the two primary mm. things we do. So most of it is making sure they are informed but we continue for quite some time to make sure that they are okay, they've got their support there for them. When we come knocking, it's the first time they've spoken to anybody about it. Um, they may not have reported it. 
you know, we try and take whatever images we can down, but we can't, we're never going to be 100% successful. So, uh, but yes, we do try and give them the support they need. I worked very closely with victims through the work of the uh, victim support officers. I made sure that the victims were kept informed. I made sure that they were kept engaged. And I made sure that they had the opportunity to give the evidence through special measures. Um, that means for some of the victims' pre-recorded interviews, which can be played, and then they use that can be used in the course of the proceedings. And importantly, I made sure that the victims' voices were heard through their victim personal statements that they provided, those victim personal statements spoke about the effect of folders offending on them. And one of the victims came to court and read her personal statement. And that was very moving um, to hear her account. But the judge took that into account and he noted it in his sentencing remarks. And it was part of that that helped the judge fully understand the real impact of this offending on the victims, because there's a tendency for people to think it's online offending, therefore it's not so serious. Not the case. Not the case. Folder's victims were asked whether they would give evidence in court, and 46 agreed in the form of written statements. Three were prepared to give evidence live in court at the sentencing. The following anonymous witness statement has been voiced by an actor. Describing how the crime has affected me is one of the hardest things I've had to write. I feel like my whole life is like a duck, calm on the surface but paddling like mad underneath to keep up appearances. I don't want anyone to know what happened to me. I feel dirty, like I'm used goods. At the time, I refused to go out of the house, refused to wear anything that you could see me in. I dyed my hair and wore a lot of makeup. I didn't want to be seen. I didn't want to see myself because I was ashamed of myself, of who I was and what I'd done. No number of showers or changes to my life or baggy clothes could make me feel clean. Eventually, I had to leave the house. You can't stay indoors forever, and it was hard. I wouldn't go out without a big winter coat on because it made me feel hidden, even in the summer. I wouldn't make eye contact with anyone, and I wouldn't talk to anyone I didn't know in case they tried to trick me or con me. The judge made some great comments about the impact of such crimes against people as just as impactive people mentally as it is physically can be, but it just raised awareness of damage that it can do, which was hadn't really come to come to the fore. So that's what this the trial led at, because it was put it out there for people to hear. You have to be aware of how the offending has impacted the victims, and it's also difficult for them relieving the experience. That itself is traumatizing, and so it's very important that the right people do that. And in this case, we had trained specialist investigators who were accustomed to working with victims of sexual offences who were able to interview them in a sensitive way and to gain their confidence, gain their trust, and to get the evidence from them and get the best from them throughout the process. In his sentencing remarks, Judge Philip Parker QC noted that one of Fulda's tutors had said he was one of the finest students he'd ever supervised. He added... As for your equally extraordinary sexual offending, no one who knew you above ground had any inkling of what you were doing below the surface. He described Ford's behaviour as cunning, persistent, manipulative and cruel. 
And he only pleaded guilty, I would say, because the prosecution had worked together with investigators to build a very strong case for the victims, the sense that they no longer had to be in fear, because for many years they lived their lives not knowing the identity of the offender and the perpetrator. And so everybody was potentially a suspect as far as they were concerned. And one victim spoke of the impact of his actions on her, so much so that when she walked the streets and she was recognised, she thought that she had been recognised by somebody who had seen her image online. And so for individuals like that, having the identity of their perpetrator established through the courts was um, hugely satisfying. Operation CACAM had a profound impact on everyone who worked on the case and it changed the way police and the NCA tackle abuse online. In probably every part of the law enforcement rulebook, we help something. I mean, I remember, um, so if you look through things like the SIO's handbook, right, you've got all these different sort of chapters, and there wasn't a chapter in that book that we didn't actually have a reflection on as a result of this case. And we didn't just help the victims of this case, we helped victims of child abuse going forward through this. And that's one of the things, um, sometimes, you know, I find the word legacy sometimes a bit trite, but actually in this particular investigation, this was a legacy and is a legacy. And it's a legacy because some of those things we've learned are still being used today. For the NCA and other agencies, the threat and the work continues. This case shows you one thing about brave victims where they step forward. But I always think about every single person in society. And if you see something that feels wrong or looks wrong, do something about it. I think this is one of those cases where many, many people took a step forward and did something about it. And I think the second piece is that many people out there are parents, uh, many people are in professional roles. And there's a wealth of influence, uh, a wealth of information out there, sorry, where people can actually use that and learn how to protect their children and how to report it because preventing child abuse is a team game. Lorna Sinclair manages the child exploitation and online protection education team at the NCA. I think that the big key message that underpins a lot of what we do is having those regular ongoing conversations with your children. This should be part of family life, having these little conversations, not a big sit down, we need a talk, but just little chats through regular family time um, to understand a balanced view of being online. So it's talking about what's really great about being online and the opportunities it affords you, but then also learning together, learning with your child about different apps and platforms together as, as they discover them. Whatever you put online stays online. People need to understand that. Whatever images you think you're sending, it will stay online forever. It's hard to never get it off. Predators like Matthew Folder are hunting in the clear web, in forums, in groups, in kids' groups, in conversation groups, are hunting for people to try and um, uh, coerce, to either meet or to obtain images from. So the dark web is where those individuals then go to share those images and their experiences. The open web is a, is a great place, but it's also a place that people need to be aware of the surroundings and who they speak to. I think it's good for us to say to them, yeah, you probably do know a lot more than me about how these apps 
work? Why don't you show me? But the bit that they don't know yet because they're children and young people that are still developing is the relationships bit. And the fact that we have to understand is that young people are living their lives online, their relationships, their social lives, connecting. It's not just like a game it is their life online. So those skills that we need to teach them in person about how to manage relationships and emotions, all those things are also happening online. And that's where they don't know it all and we really need to support them. We, as an organisation, challenged ourselves in a way we've never challenged ourselves before. And we used techniques that we'd never used before. But one really important thing about this investigation is there was never ever a sense that people want in the team when you walk through the door. The thing I always got asked was, how can we help? And that was always what I got asked. So um, I remember being at events, for example, at Europol, uh, where other enforcement agencies would come along and say, look, we've just come up with something else we think might help in the folder case. It was one of those things where it was a genuine wicked problem. Distinctly remember turning over a page and reading one of his fantasies that he shared with people online. And even to me, it was like, it took my breath away. It's like thinking this is a different level, even for me. And I've, I've, I've heard a lot of things. He was selling these ideas to, to people out there to say, you know, wouldn't it be interested if you just did this? And I, I'm holding back, I don't know, because I'm holding back on some of the things just in what I would, would say about some of the fantasies that he was sharing. Vile, vile. I don't know how to say how vile it was. Some of the things that he wanted to be done to young children offenders will look to meet children and young people in the places that they spend time online you know the same as pre-online technology offenders would seek out children in the places they hang out in person you know youth groups and and um, playgrounds and things like that it's absolutely the same online they want to know where young people hang out online and they will go there then what often offenders try and do is move to encrypted spaces or private chats. And that's one thing we can teach young people to be worried about, not only friend requests or conversations with people online that you don't know in person, but also that other red flag of trying to move you to another platform to have a private conversation. You often get asked, is this the worst you've seen? And you know, my uh, measure was I dealt with a number of the most dangerous pedophile murderers in the UK. Um, I dealt with a number of organised crime abuse and child abuse. So when you asked me that question, but this was the one where genuinely I saw the darkest moments of humanity in my career. Um, and I honestly haven't seen it since. And I never want to see it again. <laughs>